The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 29, the week of August 21st. Alex, uh, how are you doing this weekend? I'm doing well. How about you, Rob? I'm doing great. Now, you, you probably haven't heard this, uh, but there's actually some kind of uh, solar phenomenon going on tomorrow. Uh, I've heard it's going to be a little dark. Um, it has something to do with uh, the, the lack of security that's going to overwhelm the sun and, and blot, blot out light to the, to the planet. Uh, interestingly enough, though, you know, obviously we've, we've all heard about the solar eclipse. It's, every, what, it's happened 38 years ago, most recently. Um, uh, everyone's going to be driving up to Wyoming to go get the best view of this and, and all that. But what is it that the, the temperature is supposed to go down by like 25 degrees? Yes, yeah, something crazy like that. Um, supposed to be mass chaos, dogs and cats living together, end uh, of days. End of day stuff. So that's pretty good. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and jump into the news for this week. Um, before we start, you know, I, I can see you're wearing your Colorado Equal Security t-shirt today. I am. It's I my, like it. my regular Sunday attire. I love it. Uh, we, we've got a beautiful web store uh, link on the website. You should go check it out and buy some Colorado Equal Security swag. Uh, wear it yourself. Give it to your friends. Uh, you know, we've got uh, all kinds of different things. Put it on your kids. Slap it on your car. Sticker on your kid's head. T-shirt right. on your car. Yeah. All right. Um, diving into the news. We've talked about BP coming into town. We, we mentioned that they're moving their North America headquarters uh, to Denver. And we also mentioned a few weeks ago that they're op- they're hiring in town. And, and it looks like they're actually hiring about 200 people in their new Denver headquarters. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, at least one of those jobs is a security job. Um, I believe we talked about it once maybe a while back or, or a similar job, but it's a, uh, a security architect job that they're looking for. And we're going to talk about that, I think, at the uh, the end of the show as well. Yeah, I actually put that in the in the show notes as well. Target is extend, is expanding their next day delivery into Denver. So we talked about Amazon doing their two-hour delivery. Target has a similar program uh, where you can, if you buy enough, I think it's $25, uh, they'll deliver to your house the next day for, for five bucks. Yeah, it looked like you'd fill up a box with a certain amount of weight of stuff and they'll they'll deliver it to your house the next day. Pretty cool. Yeah, up to 45 pounds of merchandise, uh, basically a cart-sized box and have it delivered for five bucks. Uh, so the ink... 5,000 list, which is a list of fastest growing companies, uh, came out and there were 113 Colorado companies on there, uh, including some security companies, uh, Direct Defense, IntelliSecure, and Optiv. Yeah, so pretty cool to see those companies growing. We will talk more about Direct Defense in just a moment. Uh, but before we do, we had some uh, some sad news this week. Uh, well, look, what, what potentially, potentially looks like sad, sad news. Well, yeah. either way, it's not great news. Uh, Route 9B, who we've mentioned just about every week on this show, uh, kind of out of the nowhere as far as I'm concerned, is they have their assets scheduled to be auctioned this week. Yeah, so it looked like um, this is more a, you know, a business-related matter. They had... Uh, they'd been expanding, I think, pretty aggressively over the last couple of years, and it, it sounds like their the the revenues that they were trying to <clears throat> trying to generate did not match up with the uh, the amount that they were spending to to expand. Yeah, they they are a public company, so all this information is is publicly available. Um, their their annual revenues were were only something in like the six to seven million range, and they had I think it said 150, 158, somewhere at one hundred and fifty employees, which is a ton of employees for that kind of revenue. If you're talking about U.S. based employees, it's just the, the math just doesn't work. 
Um, so it, it makes sense. They've been expanding very aggressively, hiring very aggressively um, without necessarily having the, the revenue to match for it. Uh, we, we've tried to reach out to them a couple times to get them on the show. Maybe this explains why they haven't had the time to re re respond to an email. Uh, but but anyway, nonetheless, uh, sad news, especially for all those who have jobs there at Route 9B. And, um, you know, hopefully all works out and someone swoops in and either gives them funding or they get acquired by a benevolent owner. Yeah, much better than uh, just auctioning off assets and then all those folks are out of work. So Yeah, sad, definitely sad news there. So uh, next on the list, uh, as Rob alluded to, um, direct offense has been in the in the news. Um, there's been a dust-up between them and Carbon Black. So direct defense asserted that there's an architectural flaw in Carbon Black um, essentially allowing people to, um, uh, I don't know, what, what was the quote, Rob? Well, the, the quote is, welcome to the world's largest pay-for-play data exfiltration botnet. That was how they referred to Carbon Black. Yeah, so, so basically a feature of Carbon Black uh, is that you can upload files to VirusTotal, I believe, uh, potentially some other sources where you'll, uh, those files will be examined against, um, you know, known bad things. And uh, when it gets uploaded there, um, it generally stays there. So if there's sensitive information in whatever it is that you're uploading, you've now essentially given away your sensitive information to see if it's bad. Well, so there's a there's kind of a good news, bad news here on this for direct defense. The good news is for them, um, previous to this, I didn't even know they were a Colorado company. They're in the tech center. I think it, I said Englewood. Um, and, and now everyone knows who they are. Bad news is I think that they'd have unethical and um, illogical and just basically terrible business practices at this point. Uh, they go out there and they, they, they pretend that Carbon Black is a, a data exfiltration botnet. That's a direct quote. Um, when, when what we're talking about is a non-default option in Carbon Black, where if you try to turn it on, an alert pops up and tells you if you send these things to VirusTotal, they will be available on VirusTotal. Like they're, they're educating their, their users as you do it. Uh, the, the expectation here that, well, number one, they didn't reach out to Carbon Black ahead of time, so they didn't follow responsible disclosure steps here. Uh, and then when they're confronted with it, they didn't they didn't back off at all. They stayed, oh, absolutely, this is an architectural problem that they did, and we needed to raise awareness of this for, versus really doing it the responsible way. So anyway, I, I couldn't have much less respect for the way they handled this. Uh, of course, if they want to get on the show and talk to us, be happy to, but... Uh, I, I can't. I can't see a real logical reason for doing it this way. Uh, well, I guess as they say, um, all press is good press. Uh, who knows if that's true? But we're definitely yeah. talking about direct defense. We are talking about them for the first time. Uh, Snowmass Village uh, moved on to the next bit of news. Snowmass Village was hit by a, a phishing attack, and and I think it was actually last month that cost them about sixty thousand dollars. There's not a lot of details in the article about. Um, specifically what kind of email it was. Uh, it looks like it was somehow was related to them sending some construction costs out, out and maybe someone knew there was a construction project and, and had, had sent a phishing email. But anyway, uh, there's an impact to the, to the city there. Uh, they did have cybersecurity insurance. So versus the $60,000 outlay, they're only going to have to pay about $5,000 of that. Yeah, based on the, the article and sort of reading between the lines, it looked kind of like a business email compromise. Someone got tricked to send, send money to the wrong place. Um, you know, the FBI has, has been talking about this a lot lately, multi-billion dollar uh, scams going on around that. Lots and lots of losses for business email compromise or email account compromise. So uh, sad for Snowmass Village, but yeah. it sounds like they're they're going to make it through. Um, Gail Curry 
uh, has been named to the ISSA honor roll, which is a great honor for her. Yeah, so uh, this is sort of like a lifetime achievement award that ISSA gives. So Gail was uh, Gail is the CISO for Oracle Cloud, and Gail and her st- her husband Steve were on our show. Was it week three? I think really really early on. Um, absolutely, she's a great leader here in town. Big congratulations to to Gail for being recognized. She's done a lot of work internationally as well as locally here. Um, she's been on the the a Women in Security International group. She's been on the CISO Advisory Group internationally, and I'm sure she's done a bunch of stuff that I don't know about. In addition to that, yeah, yeah, congratulations to Gail. Uh, also, the ISSA Colorado Springs chapter has been named Chapter of the Year for Large Chapters, so congratulations to them. Good work down there. Congratulations to Colleen. We also had Colleen, who's the president down there on the show uh, a few months ago. Uh, congratulations on being recognized there, guys. Um, so we talked in the past, I mean, it was a few months ago, we, we were talking about Denver Startup Week and, and proposing a panel around uh, uh, Denver security startups and having those the founders of those companies come together. Well, uh, good news is we've uh, officially been added to the schedule. Um, so if you're interested in coming and hearing from the startup, the founders for uh, ProtectWise and oh man, I'm going to blank on it, Red Canary, a couple others that we have slated to do, to do that, you can come on Wednesday, September 27th at 11 a.m. It's part of the bootstrap, um, I don't know what you call it, track. Um, but anyway, that's that's good news, and I'm looking forward. I'll, I'll be moderating that, so you know there'll be a, a few uh, a few jokes and probably a few uh, references to Colorado <laughs> Equal Security thrown in there. Of course. Um, so Webroot made an acquisition this week. They uh, they purchased the company Securecast, which is based out of Oregon. Um, the headline bills to fix the securities industry's weakest link: humans. So Securecast seems to be a you know, a fish me or a wombat or one of those where they do uh, training materials as well as, you know, fishing exercises and things like that to make sure that uh, people know more about cybersecurity and are less likely to get tricked. It's kind of an interesting add on for Webroot. Uh, You know, they've for a long time been the the, one of the leaders in consumer endpoint uh, AV, you know, security. Uh, they've added on threat intelligence, I think pretty successfully, but this doesn't really align directly with either of those. This seems like kind of a new area for them to be branching off into. Uh, kind of curious how, how it fits their strategy from the big picture. Yeah. Maybe we can get a, a web group person on the, on the show and talk strategy. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know. I, I know that they've also been focusing pretty heavy on IOT security. At least that's what Dave DeFore has been focusing on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I don't know if they've productized that either. Interesting stuff going on over there. Uh, finally, uh, from the news perspective, Red Rocks, uh, we, we talked about Red Rocks Community College having uh, won second place in a National Science Foundation competition a while back uh, for having created a cybersecurity lab. Um, I got, had the chance to meet with two of the guys, actually the two main guys who had put the lab together and gone through the process with that uh, this last week. Really interesting guys, uh, Bruno and John. Thanks for taking the time to kind of tell me what you guys are doing. Um, they're, they're, they've created this, it's really just a hands-on way for students at Red Rocks to learn security in a, in a, in a better way than you know reading a book. Um, what the the net of it from my perspective was is they really could use community help to get hardware for this lab. They've only got a couple of different switches. Of course, it's old stuff. They got a couple servers. Um, they could really use um, support from the community to to equip that lab. So I asked them for a list of what they could use, and I'll just read out what they need. And if you guys have any extra hardware that you guys can donate, um, it would be fantastic. Um, so they're looking for servers. They're looking for, for storage. Um, 
at, at any SAN, any NAS storage, in addition to, to actual hard drives itself. Switches, routers, firewalls, you know, if you have any any commercial stuff, that would be awesome. Cisco, Juniper, Palo Alto, whatever you've got. Any security appliances, um, cloud service credits. So if you guys have the ability to help out with them getting some access into to AWS, Azure, um, Google Compute, uh, you know, even Rackspace, whatever you guys have access to would be fantastic to help them get that, you know, broader coverage. And, and I'd say if you are with a security company and you are listening to this and your company wants to donate stuff, you know, if you are a Palo Alto or a Cisco or something like that, I'm sure that they would love to have direct donations from the company as well. Um, not get sort of the secondhand stuff that the, uh, that most of our listeners might be able to, to donate, but rather something that's even newer. Yeah. And, and I've also, I gave him some suggestions about some free stuff out there. And I specifically mentioned local, you know, logarithms, freemium, netmon freemium is a good thing for them to start looking into. Uh, but any of the local companies who can help them out, that'd be fantastic. So that's the news, but we did want to mention, um, some less trafficked pages on our website. So stuff that is great resources out there that, uh, we don't necessarily talk about as much, but we have, um, you know, two big pages, the companies pages, which is, you know, Colorado based security companies. Um, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's still a pretty darn big list and our uh, local organizations page. So that's, uh, groups like ISSA and cloud security Alliance and ISACA and, and other groups like that, that are around town that, uh, you can go to network and learn with. So. Yeah. So there's, there's somewhere in the ballpark of 30 different companies on this Colorado security companies page. And for each of these companies, we have a, a nice, you know, short description, maybe one paragraph saying, what do they do? And then we have links to their, their, their corporate head page, their, uh, their, their press releases and their jobs that, that they have available. So if you want to just learn quickly about what the Colorado security ecosystem looks like, that's a good place to take a look. So let's jump into events. Um, also on the website is our event calendar. So if you want to know what's going on around town, check out the events page on colorado-security.com. The first event that we have on the list is from CTA. They are doing their CTA 101 on the 22nd of August. This is just sort of understanding what CTA is and what they do. On the next day, the 23rd, uh, the Cloud Security Alliance has their August chapter meeting. That's going to be in the evening on the 23rd. Appreciate, you know, they've uh, they've moved their schedule just a little bit, and it looks like they're not going to be uh, conflicting with ISSA going forward. So if you're downtown, you can go to both going forward, it looks like. Um, SecureSet is putting on an event, Securing Your Digital Health Company on the 23rd of August. Uh, I know Drew Labo is participating in that, um, as well as one of the startups that's in the accelerator accelerator over there, Dash, who's trying to automate some uh, HIPAA compliance. Nice. Uh, on the 25th, SecureSet is also doing a hackathon, which we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, on the 29th, CTA is doing a sip and connect. Sounds like drinking and networking. It's probably not the kind of networking that most of our folks are doing, right? That's Maybe. true. Pro uh, probably no network cables involved. Uh, SecureSet on the tw on the 30th is doing a hacking 101 girl develop it workshop. Go girl. You go girl. Um, and then on the 30th and 31st of August, the ISSA Colorado Springs chapter um, is doing one of their really big events for the year. This is the seventh annual cybersecurity training and technology forum. This is obviously down in Colorado Springs, a uh, big conference that they have going on, uh, two full days worth of stuff. Um, if you're an ISSA Denver chapter member, I believe that you can get uh, free admission. Uh, obviously, if you're a uh, Colorado Springs chapter member, I'm sure that you get the same. Uh, but they're going to have some some good content down there. So if you're interested, go check that out. 
I know speaking of the good content, they, they do have uh, Gail Corey, who's going to be doing one of their keynotes and they have John Harbaugh, who's the, the chief operating officer for route nine B uh, scheduled to give a keynote. It'll be interesting to see if he'll be able to be there. That's yeah. I think that's the same day that their auction is scheduled. So uh, if that goes, goes forward, I'm guessing he won't be able to make that. Um, and then they have uh, Brett Kelsey, who's the, the chief technology strategist for the Americas for McAfee. Um, and then Dale Mary Rose, who is the mayor, uh, excuse me, major general of the uh, U.S. Air Force and the president of the Mayor Rose Group at this point. He's a retired general. Gotcha. Um, and then the the final event that we have coming up in the next two weeks, um, National Cybersecurity Center is putting on a first responder cyber exercise on the 31st. Um, so this is getting first responders uh, more up to speed on cybersecurity. Um, I will actually be giving a talk, a uh, short talk on the NIST cybersecurity framework there. So, And that's in the tech center. It's not in the Springs, right? Yeah. And, and so if you are a, a first responder, uh, then go ahead and check that out. Could be interesting for you. Cool. All right. Let's go ahead and jump over to jobs. Uh, as a reminder, we do have links to all of these jobs in the show notes. We don't put them directly on the website because they change so quickly. So you got to go to the show notes and find find these jobs. Um Mark West Energy is hiring an enterprise security architect. This is uh, this is reporting to Rock Lambros. Rock is our friend over there, and, and we sent him a note and asked him, well, what are you looking for here? Uh, so he's looking for someone who has experience in, in securing operational technology. So for those who aren't aware, there's, you know, the information technology and operational technology is more the uh, the, the real life, the physical stuff. So, you know, the, the computers that, that make uh, gas plants work and so forth. Um He's looking for someone who's who's worked in an I, an OT, an operational technology environment, using SCADA networks, and are not afraid to get hands-on with security tools, firewalls, IDS, SIM, etc. Uh, experience with con- the convergence of IT and OT is definitely a plus. Sounds like fun. Uh, next, Frontier Airlines is looking for a senior network security engineer. Uh, assured, excuse me, Assured Information Security is hiring an advising con- computer engineer. So uh, AIS. Uh, Assured Information Systems is where uh, Jacob Torrey works. So I've got to know those guys over the years. They do really interesting stuff, very uh, cutting edge technology. They're they're doing good research. They're turning that into actionable, practical stuff. Good place to work if you're looking to to kind of use your brain and and do some some more advanced stuff. Yeah, if you read the job description, it sounded like they're doing some really cool stuff uh, based on that. Uh, next, Kaiser Permanente. Um, they actually had a few job postings this week, but th- uh, the one that I put in here was a uh, analyst cyber risk defense. So if you're uh, looking to be in security operations, they looks like they need some folks for their security operations center. Um, CU Denver is hiring an instructor in information systems. This is a neat opportunity. Get to go learn, get to teach the next generation. Um, I, I assume that having some hands-on security experience would be a good thing, but uh, I haven't looked too much at this job. Yeah, and actually, um, it, it could be multiple areas, but one of those areas was cybersecurity. So if you wanted to teach general IT, you could as well, but this yeah. is a, sort of a graduate level um, uh, position. Uh, Navigant, uh, they had a number of jobs this week as well, but they're looking for a senior consultant of information security and forensics, uh, legal technology solutions. Nice. Um, Interesting. So they're looking for someone to do incident response and essentially, stuff. Essentially, yeah. Like so, so Navigant has a big incident response practice. So that looks like they're hiring some folks nice. for that. West Tech is hiring a robotic network security engineer. You know, I, I didn't look too deeply at this job post, but the title alone got me. If so you're, if so, you're doing robot security, then uh, well, you're, you're pretty cool. Well, are you sure that they're not just looking for someone who's cyborg that That's is true. a robot? Maybe they're looking for a robot who can yeah, do security. They're looking for a robotic engineer. That's interesting. 
Uh, and then finally, uh, Deloitte is looking for a senior data protection security analyst. So if you want to work for a big accounting firm on their security side, take a look at that. Awesome. Well, it takes us to the end of the, the jobs, the end of the podcast, I think. Uh, well, the end of the, the newscast, that is. Uh, we're about to throw it over to the interview this week. I sat with Patrick Walsh, who's the CEO and founder of um, Iron Core Labs. Iron Core Labs, the, 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 the short snippet description of what they do is they do encryption as a service, much the same way that SendGrid or Twilio uh, are services that you can call with your product. They allow nice. you to, to outsource your encryption and really keep it so that the SaaS provider doesn't have access to the keys. Uh, they just got through Techstars as, as, a, as a Techstars company. We talked with Brad Feld, who's the, the founder of Techstars uh, a month or so ago. Um, so I, I got to ask Patrick a lot of questions about what was it like to go through Techstars? What was the value add? Was it worth it? All those, all those interesting facts. And he, he shared quite a bit. I look forward to hearing it. And, all right. Uh, if we if the world doesn't end as part of the eclipse, then we'll talk to you all next week. All right, guys. Have a great week. Hello, this is Sean Murray. I am a director on the International Board of Directors for ISSA, and I am a principal scientist at Northrop Grumman Corporation, working in Colorado Springs. This is Colorado Equals Security for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. All right, this is Rob Reck with the Colorado Equals Security Podcast. I'm sitting in my office today with, with a new friend, Patrick Walsh, who is the CEO and co-founder for Iron, Iron Cord Labs. Uh, Patrick, you and I hadn't met until, what, five minutes ago? Yeah. Um, so looking forward to understanding, you know, first question, what is an iron core? <laughs> um, the abs I wish I had. <laughs> <laughs> they're there. They're just underneath the... Underneath the well, ultimately, yeah. iron core is... Uh, is a company that's focused on fixing security from within the application. Yeah. I think that's the, the major underserved problem in security in general is that almost all of the attention goes to the, the areas outside of the application, to the network perimeter, and we're focused on fixing it from inside. So you could think of us like a Twilio or a SunGrid for application developers hmm. who need to add security into their application. Yeah, I'm looking forward to understanding more about that. I, let's back up a little bit first. Um, you, you, it sounds like you've been doing security or working in the security industry for a while. You know, how, how did you get into security and what, what, what was your start? Well, security is uh, probably really responsible for why I got into computers in the first mm. place. And so uh, to me, it was breaking things is always a little more interesting, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so uh, as, a, um, as a teenager, I, I definitely jumped in on the hacking stuff and was extremely interested in how to break things back in the what days kind of before the internet. So started before the internet. Um, Phone stuff then? Or? So yeah, bulletin boards. Um, yeah. I, uh, I managed to get, I don't know if I should tell this story, but I managed to get onto a, uh, a where's site back in the day, which is, was you'd have to, you know, have a phone number and have someone vouch for you and you dial in and then there would be software you could download so yeah. you could play with, uh, software that you couldn't otherwise afford. And, um, on that site, there was a bit of software that was the bulletin board software. It was the source code for Wildcat BBS yeah. back in the day. And uh, one of my first things that I ever did was to uh, play with that source code and then upload it to that site and to other Wears sites. And then before long, I could pretty much dial into any bulletin so you, board you system back, I wanted you backdoored, to. I did. Uh, you backdoored the software. Right? Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Where were you located back in the back California. Which, what part? Uh, Northern California. I grew up in San Francisco. I'm from Redwood City. So ah, we're just, nice. Uh, a neighbor down the down the peninsula from you. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. How did you get to Colorado? Um, 
If I'm being honest, I chased a girl. Me too. <laughs> did it work out? It did work out. She's my wife. Yeah, there, there we go. We got, we're <laughs> two too. for two here. Yeah, absolutely. Nice yeah, yeah, I came by way of Boston. So as, as most of you, at the, uh, the time I came to Colorado, which was 2004, I was coming from Boston. Yeah. And, uh, and so you've been married for a decade plus then? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, 12 years now. Congratulations. Thanks. That's great. Um, so you, so you, you chased a girl out here, and, and did you have a job? I didn't. Didn't yeah, I figured that out after I got here. Yeah, well, good for you. What do you what do you come out here and do? Um, I got a job with a company called eSoft, which mm-hmm. was a Colorado company that did um, unified threat management boxes for small businesses. Yeah. So um, they basically pulled together, you know, antivirus and anti-spam and uh, intrusion prevention stuff into a little turnkey box. Um, that was that was. You know, moderately successful. It was. They were basically the first ones to break into that category, but hmm. unfortunately got eclipsed by um, Fortinet and SonicWall, and and kind of always struggled in their shadow ever sure. since. But um, so I was there through uh, uh, in, in my tenure there, uh, which was a number of years. Uh, I worked my way up to CTO, and um, in that time we started taking instead of like packaging other people's software, we started building our own. So we built. Um, an antivirus lab. We basically took Clam AV, and we we had some folks overseas who worked on signatures, and um, we added a bunch of plugins to that to enhance its detection capabilities. Um, we did uh, um, our own anti-spam. We did um, web filtering. We built an automated uh, web categorization system, and that would look first for threats. We had like I don't know six different categories of threats. Um, and we had like, by the, by the time I left, I think we had a total of 63 categories. So it was mm. kind of everything. So we were just categorizing the web. Um, that was pretty cool. And that spun out into its own company um, yeah. around the time that Esoft sold. What company was that? Is that someone sold around? It is Velo. Hmm. They're a Denver company and they're still kicking around doing selling uh, web filtering. Um, yeah. Is that a V-E-L-L? It's Z-V-E-L-O. All right. So, so what? When did you, ESOF ended up uh, getting sold? It sold to private equity in uh, 2010, and then later to Untangle. Okay. And when did you? When did you? I left in 2010. Ways? Okay. Yeah. So I went to uh, I went from there to a company called Right Now Technologies, which did enterprise uh, cloud software, um, and uh, and had a pretty good ride with them. I I headed up uh, a 40 million dollar a year product division on the engineering side and. Um, we we sold to Oracle for one and a half billion in the end. Well, that sounds like a pretty a pretty happy ending. It was yeah yeah that was, that was a nice ride. And when was that? Uh, it Oracle, um, twenty twelve. Okay. And I was there from twenty twelve to twenty fifteen. Oh really? You so you were an Oracle guy for until a couple years ago. Three years is the period that you ride out. After yeah okay. Acquisition <laughs> Got it. Got it. That's that's how long it had to be. <laughs> uh, and then. I have nothing bad to you say know, about Oracle. Two two Let's year, you know, you've had two years. And when when did you? Is that when you started Iron Core Labs? Mm-hmm. Yep. And talk, let's talk about that. Where that come from, and what are you doing, and so uh, who are you doing it with? I guess. Yeah, um, I, it was uh, the chief architect of our division is the uh, guy who co-founded uh, of our division at Oracle, mm-hmm. uh, for, which was some four hundred developers. Uh, he and I spent a lot of time architecting and working out how to build more secure cloud software. Um, and we started to realize that we were building on top of foundations that weren't, weren't as good as we thought they could be. And that 
you know, ultimately, if you were going to build enterprise software, if you're going to start a modern foundation for enterprise cloud software, that it should really start with encryption. And you should be encrypting all the data by default and not just the occasional field and not just instead of, a, instead of encrypting it like with one key for all the data, um, instead moving to a level where the encryption complements the permission system such that literally only people who are permissioned to be able to access data can unlock it. And uh, as we started to think about how we might want to build our, ne our next enterprise system, we started to realize that, you know, the security layer itself was, was, was a product. And, uh, and that brought me back to security. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you implement that. How do you op operationalize this, this concept? So uh, tell me about it. What, what do you guys do and, and how, do you, how do you help people build more secure apps? So, the, you know, our, um, I'll take it from a solution perspective. So the solution that we're offering is something we call customer controlled data. Uh, more commonly, people know of this as customer managed keys. Mm -hmm. So a lot of especially large enterprises today are very hesitant to move to the cloud. And that's, if you, if you look at spending in 2016, 75% of, of application spending was on on-premise software, on-premises software, 25% in cloud services. So that even though it feels like everything's moving to the cloud, if you look at the dollars, the vast majority is still trapped on-premises. Hmm. And why is that? It's, it's because of privacy and security. And um, in, in the idea of customer managed keys is that the data is encrypted, the data is stored in the cloud, but the customer controls the decryption keys so at any time they could cut off even the vendor's access to it. They can manage who gets access. And in practice, that sounds awesome, but in practice it's often not that great. It's like one key for all the data. Every request requires a call back to the enterprise. That's how Box implemented it, for example. Uh, in our world, we handle everything, the key management, everything in a zero trust system so that as a developer, you drop in this SDK and then you know, before you save a piece of data to wherever, to your, your database, if, if you want to, or ours, um, before you save a piece of data, you make a call that encrypts the data, shares it with who, whoever makes sense to share it with. And before, after you've retrieved it, before you use the, the um, data, you, you make a call to our SDK to decrypt it. Mm. And if, if, your, if the current user's private key is able to decrypt it, then they get access. And if it's not, then there's a backstop. So... What ends up happening in a system like this is, one, the vendor may or may not be trusted. They could be zero trust. We, Iron Core, are, are always zero trust. Um, it's PKI, so everyone has their own key, and we can um, revoke that access at any time and have a, a system of provable security, which means that um, we know for sure who is able to unlock that data and, and which, which keys are able to unlock that data. Mm. So it's, it's kind of a cool system. It drops in pretty easily to, to an application. Um, most people would use it specifically for sensitive data like um, you know, personally identifiable information or um, financial or health records or things like that. Yeah. But, um, really almost any, anything that requires So how, how does someone integrate it with an existing application? So it's a code level integration. So yeah. we're like, you know, I think I said this earlier, but you can think of us like a SendGrid or Twilio or an online service Mm -hmm. um, all the key management, all the public key management stuff is done by our servers. Um, and, uh, and it requires a few lines of code. Mm -hmm. So depending on the complexity of the application and how many touch points there are, when you encrypt the data, any endpoint or user that needs to be able to access that data will have to be permission to do so and will have to have a key and will have to have uh, a client-side code, which could be on a server, by the way. But you know, in that case, the server is a, is a client of the data. Um, 
that can that can call our SDK and decrypt it. And where are you guys as a as a company right now? You have is this product oper- you know, in production right now, or you- it's in pilot? So we're okay. working with a, a select set of customers right now, piloting it, and uh, we should be launching. You know, stay tuned. Uh, so what is what is in pilot mean? Do, have you have you got folks who are actually using it in their production systems at this point? In, in staging environments. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and what's your timing for? Ho- you, you want to share that timing for when you're hoping to unveil it and, and have it ready to go? Um, I would say look for it later this year. All right. So so I heard from you uh, through Alex Krylin over at SecureSet. So why don't you tell me how how are you involved with those guys and? Uh, um, yeah, you know we're not heavily involved. They're really great in the community in terms of hosting events. And so mm-hmm. we see them there all the time. Um, huge fans of Secure Set. We're, yeah. we're supporters of theirs, and uh, um, you know, and, and just know them to the community. Sure. Uh, all right. Well, let, let's talk about where. What problems do you think you guys are going to go look to solve? What are, What are the ideal um, target customers that, that you guys are going to be able to work with? You think? So those those kind of mid sized to large. Um, cloud application mm-hmm. providers who are selling to or trying to sell into the enterprise. Yeah. That's our sweet spot for our market. So, you know, an ideal customer for us would be um, Dropbox or Slack or someone like that, um, where, for example, Slack, right, they, they lose frequently to HipChat for on-prem, which has an on-prem kind of competitor. And uh, we would argue that a big reason for that is is because of the security and privacy concerns if they were to be able to if they were to give their customers control of their data such that it was yeah. always locked slack was still able to do what they need to do so for example they could have one-time decryption access to each message so they could expand the link they could make a change whatever and save it but the persistently stored data then could only be accessed by authorized users and not by slack and in that scenario for example if um Someone came with a warrant to talk to to say, "Hey, we want company Exis. You know, let's say I don't know Ford is is their customer, and we want Ford's, you know, chat records. Right. Well, well, they, you know, Slack would have to be like, we we don't have access to them. Right. Go to Ford. That's the type of thing that we could enable for a company like that. Right. Um, that's great. So. I think we have a pretty good understanding about what you guys, you know, what problems you solve. I'd love to just hear your entrepreneur story. You know, this is it sounds like this is your first time starting starting a company. This is my second. This is my second startup as a company as a as a CEO. Cool. Uh, what was the other one? My first company was called DynaQ, and I uh, started that in college, um, hmm. and uh, in '98. And so we uh, that pegged my age for you there, um, and uh, we did, you know what at the time we called expert systems you'd call it artificial intelligence or something like that these days and we had a generic system that we used initially we had a bunch of customers in the uh, um, environmental space doing things like uh, checking to see if environmental designs met energy efficiency standards and things like that mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and we, we moved into a customer service space and uh, um, we're, we're doing reasonably well there we were a profitable company um, and having trouble raising financing back in those days in 2000 era, um, when we when people with ideas were getting huge valuations, we were getting valuations based on our revenue. Hmm. Um, and uh, and long story short, there were probably many things we could have done to to avoid this fate. But when the dot com bubble burst, it it wiped us out pretty pretty hard. We we had a sales pipeline that we didn't really fully understand had dried up hmm. until. Um, I wish we had. I wish we reacted more aggressively 
sooner in that in that does, scenario. Does that mean just cutting costs, basically, when you say pivoting? Um, I mean, I think you know. So we were selling into customer support, and, and our our value proposition was, hey, look, you can make your level one people as as good at. Um, solving problems as your level three people, hmm. we can we can train it on what the level three people are doing, and we can bring that to, to the level one people, so you can more cheaply and more quickly resolve customer problems. That was effectively what what we were doing there. Sure. But the technology that we built could have been applied in a lot of different ways. We went there because we found customers there, and when when dot com, the, when the crash was happening, the customer support departments got pinched really hard. Like the big tech companies, um, we had a couple very large enterprises that we were pretty advanced with and like our contacts the head of customer support people like that were getting laid off mm-hmm. they were significantly cutting their department we're like we can we can make you more efficient this is still going to be good but the fact is there was no money for anything like so even if it would have saved them money it didn't matter right I you know, they were in crisis mode and and uh, i think that's the thing that I, I think there's probably several things but that's that's what when i think back i think we didn't react soon enough we should have mm-hmm. switched into some some other application for our yeah. technology. So 2001 was that was that when you guys shuttered the business? I assume 2002. More or less. Uh, 2002 is is when uh, we had to let everyone go. I kind of tried to keep it going a little bit on the side for a while. We tried to pivot when you know with with not much money in the bank on that while I yeah. did consulting and and uh, I think it was officially shuttered in 03. Okay. Um, so you know, call it 12, 13 years between. You know the end of your first business, and when you decided to to spin up another one, what are the lessons you took from working from small, medium, large enterprises in the interim that you think is is helping you uh, do better here with Iron Core? I, I was really deliberate about that. I always knew I wanted to start a company again. Yeah. Um, always had lots of ideas. I was always the guy who's running hackathons in the organization and stuff like that. And um, to me. It's just everywhere I looked, there's opportunity. And one of the things I wanted to do was, with my next company, I wanted to make sure that whatever we were doing, it was mission-based. It was something where we were going to make make the world a better place. Hmm. Um, and I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about, like, how do we fix, how do we solve the world's, you know, water problems or, or these other problems that we see? And I'm a software guy, and, and a lot of those problems don't directly impact me. So I found it really challenging to come up with good business ideas around some of those things. But security is something I know really well. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time on a lot of different sides of that and a lot of different angles. Yeah. And uh, um, consequently, that's that's sort of what I come back to. And when I think about security, I think, oh, God, it's such a noisy market. There's so many products, and they all kind of sound alike because everyone makes the same marketing claims. But yeah. then when I look at it from the engineering manager uh, standpoint, it's like, wow, there's nothing. Hmm. You know, there's 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 a... You know, what do you use if you want to do encryption, for example? Open SSL, are you crazy? Like the, the the world, and forget just encryption, just in general, building secure applications, starting with a secure foundation to me is a wildly underserved area. Mm-hmm. And applications to my, you know, everything comes back to applications. You know, when there's a hack, some something somewhere, whether it's a misconfiguration or anything else, um, it goes back to that. So, um, I feel pretty strongly that there's this huge opportunity and it's a way to make the world better. You know, you look at IoT, like that, are you kidding me? People are just connecting stuff to the internet without a second thought, right? You know, if they were building on top of something where they didn't have to think about it or understand it as well, yeah, we'd be in a better place. Build, build better frameworks, build better tools, make it make it easier to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the vision, right? What about the implementation? Did you, you guys go get funding for this? How, how, are, how, are, how are you standing up a company? 
Yeah. Um, well, we, we recently graduated from the Techstars Boulder program. Okay. Um, and we uh, we closed it. We announced in May that we closed our seed round. Um, yeah. So we've, we've uh, got a bunch of money um, to, to pursue the vision and, and go after yeah. it. Yeah. So I had the chance to, to sit with Brad Feld at one of these interviews a cool. month or two ago. Yeah. Uh, learned a little bit about Techstars. Why don't you, I'd love to hear more about that from, from your perspective as someone who's went through the program and, you know, what are the value, what's the value for you going through it and... Um, yeah, go yeah. Start, start there, I guess. You know, when, when we went into the program, we were not sure if it was right for us, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, they ask, they, they want a, a chunk of the company. And, right. Um, you know, a lot of what they give you is, I think, I think there's a big difference between, uh, we're sort of more mature entrepreneurs. We've been around the block a little bit, you know, and so there's a big question about how much are we going to get out of it. That, that anyway was our thought process going in. And, and we ended up, Thinking, gosh, we really want to understand what, for example, SendGrid did right and, and what they did wrong. We want to avoid going down the blind alleys of things that don't work, especially in selling to developers. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and also, you know, we, we discount. So there were several things we discounted in thinking about it. Um, one of the things was kind of the doors that it opens. So I had this sort of, oh, I don't know, maybe it's almost egotistical opinion that I could, I could, pretty much, you know, get a meeting with just about anyone, especially like within Colorado. Hmm. Um, it, and so I discounted that, but, but it's, it's, it was really interesting going through the program. First of all, it's like top notch and they do an incredible job. They do a fantastic job of matching you with people who are like uniquely qualified to help you who've been in your shoes, who have incredible advice and, and where you might be able to get introduced to them beforehand, uh, meeting them through the program, there's something about that where they just really lean in. So uh, there were even a couple of people who I had met before and, and meeting before they, you know, be like, oh, you know, that's, what you're doing sounds really interesting. You know, let me know if I can help or whatever, right? In in the tech stars framework, meeting them there, there's this real lean in thing where it's like, and I have three ideas on ways I can help you. And I, you know, I'd be happy to go off and go make some introductions. You know, they're coming up with those ideas. They're right. leaning in and helping. They have expectations on them that they are here to help you succeed, right? Right. Versus just somebody who you run across. And that, and that's amazingly powerful. And the, and the whole give first thing, Brad Feld and, and the Techstars group and, and these folks, this idea that um, it's not that you're being altruistic necessarily. It's that you're... Uh, you know that you go in and you give and you'll get back in return for having done that if you if you contribute well and and setting people up to do it that way it's hugely powerful because so when my first company you know we were constantly under siege i feel like from service providers and other people who who were you know or, or just like business consultants and people and they'd be like oh we will help you you know it's just just you know 250 dollars an hour or whatever we'll, we'll right. be, we'd love to help you or or and, and I see this too because um, so right now Technologies was headquartered in Bozeman, uh, Montana, and and my co-founder is in Bozeman and as is about half of our team. And um, I love Bozeman. There, it's turning into sort of the, a, a new entrepreneurial hotbed, hmm. especially kind of post right now days. Um, but I don't think they have the the give first. Not it's not pervasive about this kind of give first attitude. So I can I can really like draw direct comparisons between yeah. Bozeman and Boulder and uh, you know the idea of oh we'd love to help you give us some equity and we'll help we'll help you versus I'm going to help you and I know that if I do a good job something will come out of it hmm. um, it's really 
it's really powerful. They've yeah. done an amazing job of creating an ecosystem, and, it, and it's and it's really grounded and centered around that kind of tech stars and foundry group nucleus. So, could you kind of just summarize what does the program look like, and you know, you, you get accepted, or or to actually go back before that, right? What's the application process look like, and you know, all the way through the end. Um. So the application process, oh, you know, some online form you fill out. They, yeah. they put a big emphasis on a couple of videos. There's a product demo video <laughs> and a founder video. They're, they're really short. I think it's, I, I want to say, two minutes max for each of those. Yeah. Um, and there's some dark magic that happens somewhere else. Uh, if you get past the first cut, then you go and you have, I, I forget, like a 10-minute maybe, some short meeting to just talk about, your story with, yeah. with uh, usually the managing director of the program. At least this is my experience. And then if you get if, if, if you pass that hurdle, then you come in to like this boardroom panel where you have, I think, three minutes in which I want to say it's one and a half minutes to give a pitch. And they give you like eight points they want you to hit. Like, where are you at for traction and fundraising? And like, you know, what's your uh, value proposition? Like they, a bunch of stuff that you're yeah. supposed to hit in some really tiny... Uh, time frame. Maybe it was three minutes and then three minutes for questions. That was it. It was three minutes to give, to hit all these points and then three minutes for questions. Well, plenty of time then. Yeah. So yeah, right. <laughs> Double what I said. Uh, and then, you know, and then if you're in, then it becomes this sort of negotiation where they're like, okay, great. We'd love to have you in there. Here's all this paperwork where yeah. you sign, sign stuff away. And, and, um, and it is a negotiation process through the paperwork. I think most of the time it isn't. In our case, there were one or two things that we, we, um, so there's, there's there's two parts in terms of the paperwork. One is the joining the program, and the, there's there's a, it's twenty thousand dollars for six percent basically, and and the program, right? Okay. And then um, and then separately, there's a convertible note that you get offered automatically, and that and, and those, those terms in particular were difficult for us because they wouldn't have worked because we had a um, other things going on that sure. basically the terms more or less conflicted with. So okay. I think you know they'll talk to you if you need to talk to them about stuff um, and so then you know for us it's the, the program started in the end of January um, and it's a three months super intense uh, my co-founder moved down here for that three months a lot of folks were from other countries other uh, locations and they moved to Boulder for this period yeah. of time and you basically um, you know plan to be in that office like 9 a.m. to midnight most of that program wow. it's, it's it's super intense I, I went home for brief family time for like an hour and a half between kind of five and seven or so and and then would come back um, and they and it's like it's a little bit of an executive MBA it's a little bit of personalized assistance it's a lot of um, pushing on you introducing you to people opening doors for customers investors mm. um, and uh Basically, lighting up. Are you sitting in classrooms a with a bunch of other people who made who are who are in the program as well, or, or individually, or what? In, in part, I mean, the bulk of the time you're sitting at a desk in a big kind of well, it, it, it varies kind of the space, but in a big um, I don't know open space. So you're you're working and and in meetings because um, you're generating lots of introductions and meetings. Uh, but there was classroom time too. The classroom time is. A lot of it is more workshop than classroom. Yeah. So there's there's some lecture, but a fair bit of like, you know, grab your sharpies and post its and yeah. let's, let's like think about your. So here's the framework we're going to give you for for a way to look at your company and to think about I don't know whether whether it's a value proposition design or a Kanban exercise or whatever the heck it is, right? So they they, they work on different levels of um, 
running a business and, and keeping it on track, goal setting all the way through um, uh, sort of frameworks for, for talking to customers and, and getting set up with that and advice on how to raise money. Yeah. Well. So I, I, I find it, so, you know, like going in as a little skeptical coming out, I found it to be like a no brainer. Hmm. Um, I think it was an incredibly good program. And, you know, are they on your board of directors? How, how, obviously, they have you said six percent of the company. So, are they are they advising? Are they just a resource you can reach out to at this point, or is there really no interaction now? Or how's no, that so they they definitely stay. You know, they're they're invested in the company in different ways. They want to help company all of their portfolio succeed, and they they will do. There's um, sort of four founders who've gone through the program. There's a, a community to reach out to and talk to, kind of. Through forms different things your your managing director from your program stays in touch and I say doing they do ongoing education and calls and introductions and it, it, it continues it's just less intense yeah um, the intensity drops way off after a demo day <laughs> well, that's not, that sounds like a pr- pretty good thing now you don't have you know what was it 15 hours a day of staying on top of that stuff yeah um so what so you got what you were done in um, march april time frame is that what you said um april april so what, what's what have you been doing for the last few months then uh, well, we closed a round of money, and we are, uh, you know, aggressively making that product kind of uh, um, ready for production. What are you doing with the money? People. I mean, personnel is is far and away the the biggest amount, and, and launch. What um, kind of people? What are you? Developers. Yeah, predominantly engineers. I yeah. Mean, we're, you know, we're we're an engineer. We're we're definitely an engineering organization, right? Our customers, at least our users, are developers. Yep. You know who who the actual buyer is it varies, but. But we're selling into applications, and so um, we're we're, uh, we're you know strongly biased towards heavily technical people in our company. So do you have what about sales? Are you are you working on are you working on getting sales folks in there? Or? As a matter of fact, so uh, um, you know I'm I'm kind of the, the the chief and lone salesperson right now, but yeah. uh, we are hiring right now. We, we expect to bring someone on board in August. Okay, and you, and how many po- folks do you have total right now? Seven. Just interesting to think about like ratios and you know, over time, you know, right now very heavily dev focus, and I assume over time you get sales and marketing focus as you look to to get the word out. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we we definitely hire people who can wear multiple hats and have diverse skill sets. Right mm-hmm. now, I think that's the to my in my opinion as an entrepreneur, the kind of the smartest thing you can do is to not get people who are narrow and niche, mm-hmm. and you try and get people who. So, for example. Every one of our developers are uh, speakers at conferences and go to conferences and do talks and, and did before hiring them and continue to hmm. apply abstracts. They, they can write and do blog postings and things like so that. You, you're, so every developer for you has to be social as well. That's not, a, that's not a going, challenge. Not going forward forever, but uh, certainly for the early hires, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hard, those are hard to find. <laughs> uh, it definitely get tough to scale that. I think uh, you should go to the other conferences and ask them, ask them if they can, can write as well. Um, so, what do you think? You know, you, you mentioned sometime by the, by the end of this year, you're hoping to be to be ready to go. Uh, what's public your launch? Yeah, public launch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you in AWS? Is that where you're running everything? So uh, we're actually doing Google Compute. Okay. At present, and uh, you know, one cool perk. There's a bunch of perks with doing the TechStars thing. You know, and, yeah. and among them is uh, IBM and and Google and Amazon all give you, you know, a fairly large check under some time limit to go use their services for free. Uh, we chose Google Compute in part because uh, um, uh, a lot of the Amazon systems don't BAAs. So uh, in other words, they can't um, 
they're not able to give you something that certifies the security of those to pass on to your customers. For HIPAA, the requirements around HIPAA for that. And, HIPAA and other, or other kinds of compliance. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it's, some some Amazon systems do. It's just it's just sort of hit and miss, right? So if you're if you're a health startup and you're using uh, AWS Lambda, you've probably got to go back and rethink that. Yeah. And and so. Um, with Google, all of their services have BAAs, so we don't have to stop and think about hmm. and, and, and check it. And so um, it's not that they're, I think that they're necessarily more secure or less secure, one, one thing or another, but it makes our life a little bit easier for, for where we see. Yeah, just meet your requirements a little better. Interesting. I haven't talked to a lot of folks who have deployed on GCE. I'm definitely interested to hear your take. And, Good. Um, uh, you know, well, so far, so good, right? We haven't tried it out with, a, with big production loads yet. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, Find the tools pretty easy to work with. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit easier than Amazon. Um, you know, I'm not obviously I delegate that stuff, so I'm probably not your best person to give a close analysis. Sure. But um, you know, my uh, <laughs> there is another company, one of the ones who offers free time, um, who I may or may not have mentioned, and we did spin something up for that and it took the better part of a day to get the machine running and then we forgot and left it running and uh, and it turned out it had crashed all by itself running absolutely nothing on it literally just spinning up a blank machine um, that was not Amazon or Google it was another one but we had a there was there was someone we had a bad oh what the hell we had a bad experience with Azure um, yeah so we were a little bit surprised by that yeah interesting yeah so what's the you know obviously you know, we're a few months away from general release um if someone's interested in knowing more about what you do, uh, hey, maybe maybe they think there's a good fit in their in their SaaS product. Uh, what would you suggest at this point? So um, go to ironcorelabs.com. Uh, no spaces or dashes, just ironcorelabs.com. And there's a couple signups you, you have an option for there. One is if you'd like to be, um, you know, get on the beta waitlist, uh, sign up for that. Or if you'd like the the email list, do that. Um, you can also, you know. Uh, if you have questions and you'd like to talk to someone about it specifically, if you think customer controlled data, our, our take on customer managed keys, which um, you know we didn't get into this, but our approach doesn't require calling back to the enterprise every time a piece of data is accessed, but you can, it has the same benefits, in fact, better benefits around um, the enterprise customer being able to control their data. Hmm. Um, you know, If that's of interest, then you can also reach out to me directly at patrick.walsh at ironcorelabs.com. And I'll go ahead and put your email in the show notes if that's okay. Yeah, maybe obfuscate it for the for the bots. Okay. <laughs> um, so you know, one of the things that I, when, as you're talking about this, that I, I I can't help but think about is the GDPR mm-hmm. um, requirements around privacy that are coming out, and yeah. the the power that this would ho- hopefully could could give some some customers of SaaS providers around controlling where their data goes and and having that confidence that even if God forbid my my SaaS provider you know synced data outside of the EU inappropriately that it would be unintelligible right and, and maybe if you have you thought about that is that is that an angle that's yeah that so looking at? we're very interested in GDPR for a couple of reasons so um, the first one is the Casby industry the, the cloud access security broker guys they do they do a kind of the inverse of our model in some ways so we're selling to let's say for example Dropbox as someone who we'd love to sell to right. And Dropbox, with our stuff, in, in a way you could think of it like they're integrating a CASB directly into their service, right? They don't have to lose the ability. They don't become a dumb application storage provider. They can still, they can be permissioned to do things, but the customer has that control. And 
if instead you move the encryption point in the to, to well, in our case, the encryption happens at the point of, of data use, but if you move that to a CASB box, you know, Dropbox becomes just sort of dumb storage, right? right. And and um, but that industry has done some really interesting things around, for example, in Germany, if if the CASB devices in Germany and if all the PII of German citizens go through it, then for example. It gets the data gets encrypted before leaving the country, and the keys to decrypt it don't leave country. In that scenario, it's considered okay for data locality. Hmm. So I don't know the, the um, how this looks for all the countries, but Germany is definitely a stickler on this stuff, and they they kind of they allow that as a way around it. And, right. And um, so so not exactly GDPR, but on the data locality side. It, it makes a big difference. There's another piece of, there's, there's a bunch of pieces of, of this, but one of them is right to be forgotten. Right. And the interesting thing to me about right to be forgotten is the security industry is jumping up and down about GDPR, but you almost don't hear about right to be forgotten. Well, it's part of GDPR. But it's, a, it's, embedded, mean, the, it's embedded in it. From the standpoint of what security companies are doing to help people meet GDPR, oh, I got you. you don't yeah, hear yeah, about yeah, I got right you. to be forgotten okay. much. And, and in our world, we have a really neat way to deal with right to be forgotten because the trouble, the, the reason it's hard is because data gets replicated all over the place. And so you get you get a piece of data, you get, let's say, uh, I don't know, a customer's and, and user's address or something, right? And it goes into one system and it gets duplicated to another system and then it goes to backup systems somewhere else. And oh, by the way, if any of those aren't in, you know, in country, it's a problem. And, and oh, by the way, if, if that user comes in and says, I want you to delete my data, you have to go track it all down, including out of backups. Now, what, what if those backups are in like tapes or zip? Like, how are you gonna deal with that? Forget it. You basically, you basically apply for an exception and say it's too hard for us to actually forget people, and and that seems to be the going plan for a lot of mm-hmm. companies. And um, with us, the interesting thing is you could actually use what we built to uh, encrypt in such a way that the data wherever it goes is encrypted, and you can you can revoke access to the company later, which is the same thing as. Forgetting because now the company can't unlock that that data wherever it lives, so you can very very effectively by deleting the keys, essentially, um, forget someone. Right. And we can do that on a per user basis because we, we don't have like one key for everything stuff. We do basically more like row level encryption. And so, um, for right to be forgotten, we have a pretty interesting yeah. solution. We'll, That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing more when you guys are uh, are ready to ready to go prime time with it. Cool. Um, well, cool. I, I, I think I learned a lot of cool stuff. Uh, you know, one thing I like to ask our guests is, you know, co- your, your take on the Colorado community. You know, you've been here for over a decade now. What was mm-hmm. it, 13 years or so? You know, what do you, what do you like here? What, what do we need to get better at? What do you, what do you think? You know, it's been interesting because I've been part of the, the security community, at least on and off uh, over that time. And I feel like in uh, the last couple of years, it's really, that's really taking off. Yeah. You know, uh, companies like um, Logarithm, Ping, um, Secure Set, really, really helping to solidify that. Webgroup's been here for forever, um, and I, and I feel like there's a there's a bit of a center of a, especially for security jobs in general coming here. So I, I, it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, personally, I love this area. Just like having nothing to do with that, um, I I feel like it, to to me balances everything, right? You, Within work, within you know, within your company, you have to have balance between rigidity and chaos, right? You, right. Everything is balanced, and, and and in work, actually, since you have Brad Feld on, he has a way of calling this. Instead of calling it work-life balance, he says work-life harmony, which yep. I, I love that term because it, it doesn't mean there's there equal proportions. It means that that it's the the right proportion for you. Um, 
and here in Colorado, it's like, man, it's just always sunny. There's always outdoor stuff to do. It's just people are happy. People are, when I lived in Boston, and I, I have a lot of great friends who and, and family out there, um, but people don't smile at you. Like, not strangers, <laughs> never, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, there's a, 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 here, you know, people are just really open and friendly. I think that pervades into the business culture mm-hmm. too, right? I think that's part of the, the helpfulness. And I, yeah. I don't know if that's because people are, more active or, or what, but um, I think it's an awesome place. Let's keep it live. going though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, anything else you want to say before we let it go? Um, no, you know, if people are interested, please reach out. We'd love to talk to you and, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for doing the show. All right, Patrick, thanks for joining us. All right, All right take care. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.